Hi, it's Brad Leach here. I'm a speaker for the upcoming Biosuticals Clinical Mastery Masterclass held on the 9th of February, where I'll be sharing the latest advancements, protocols, and evidence-based interventions for increased intestinal permeability. So if you'd like some tools to improve your confidence in the management of intestinal permeability in your clinical practice, find out more by visiting biosuticals.com.au. This is FX Medicine, bringing you the latest in evidence-based, integrative, functional and complementary medicine. I'm Dr. Leslie Braun, author of Herbs and Natural Supplements, an evidence-based guide, and I've actually got a new little guide coming out very soon called Mental Wellbeing, the Essential Guide to Using Herbs and Nutritional Supplements. I have the great pleasure of moderating today's discussion and introducing you to our four new hosts of FX Medicine, Dr. Adrian Lepresti. Dr. Michelle Woolhouse, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Emma Sutherland. Today we're going to discuss a topic that's becoming both a national and worldwide crisis, mental health. Almost half of all Australian adults will face mental health challenges during their lives, and one in five will experience one this year. So it's the perfect time to come together and explore what different modalities and treatment options can do to best serve our patients and maybe even help ourselves a bit too. Before we get into today's discussion, let's take a few minutes to meet our four new hosts. Adrian, one of the things I think our listeners would love to learn more about is your background and your vast experience, but also, you know, why did you decide to become an ambassador and maybe something that people really don't know? So Adrian, tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. I'm, I'm a, a clinical psychologist, uh, been practicing for almost uh, 25 years now and i uh, Originally, I uh, was, I suppose, a more traditional psychologist where I do your psychological therapy, but I soon realised that, you know, we needed more than that and I became extremely interested in nutrition and the role of diet on mental health. So that then led me to do a lot more research in the area. I did my PhD in, in the area and just, just become more and more passionate about it as I've gone along. So I continue to uh, practice and see clients a couple of days a week and I do a lot of uh, research now looking at the effects of different herbs and, and nutraceuticals on mental and cognitive health. So you're one of those wonderful people that's actually creating the evidence that we all rely on when we go into clinic. That's fantastic. Um, Adrian, why did you decide to become an ambassador? Uh, I mean, I'm passionate about education. I mean, uh, I've got a cupboard full of, uh, of books and uh, I continue <laughs> to... Uh, to accumulate books. I don't know what I'm going to do with them now. So uh, there's just <laughs> way too many. So fortunately, a lot of them are going to ebooks now, which is uh, making life a lot easier. But um, I just really think that, uh, you know, education and, and interviewing different experts around the world is, is great for us to be able to increase our clinical skills. And I suppose, uh, you know, I was a passionate user of, of FX medicine, and uh, I get now to drive it a little bit. I get to kind of choose the topics that I'm interested in. So there's a bit of a selfish uh, component to it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I fully understand. Thanks, Adrian. Um, Michelle, you and I have known each other a long time, but I yeah. think there might be some listeners out there who don't know about your background. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Michelle and I've been integrative GP for, oh, I've sort of lost count now, 22 years, I think. And uh, my interest in, I guess, a more holistic 
way of practising medicine started way back in medical school. Really frustrated by the, just that, um, I guess, the smaller framework that medicine tends to take and was really interested in lifestyle medicine, nutrition, but in particular mind-body medicine. Like when I, when I stumbled upon mind-body medicine, it was just such a, a great fit for me to understand the connections of the body and how all of the parts uh, work together and how we as humans work within our environment and within the world um, and between each other. So I've been practising that particular expanded approach to medicine for a long time and, yeah, I mean, I maintain my passion and I always get really excited the more evidence and uh, research that there is. I think that um, people often forget the role of the mind. It's so huge. I know when we look at doing randomised trials, I mean, a placebo is really mind-body medicine in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the placebo effect and the nocebo effect is is incredible as well. So the opposite of the placebo where we can actually promote the negative effects of something that we might take into the body. And I think learning about that and embracing that just helps every practitioner almost embrace how effective they can be by the relationships that they form with their their clients and their patients. And, um, and it's empowering as an, a practitioner, kind of knowing a lot about that space. Absolutely. And Michelle, why did you decide to become an ethics medicine ambassador? Oh, I love education and I love the opportunity to really shape story for practitioners and for the general public. I think, you know, still I get frustrated by sometimes the narrow approach that we can take as a community and, and really expanding that and understanding how much empowerment we have in our lifestyle choices is is incredible. I think sometimes when I think back to some, you know, patients that I've seen and just making you know, not, not insignificant changes, but significant changes in their lifestyle has really made a profound effect on their their whole health, not only from themselves, but their families and, and sometimes even their communities. And I just think there's just so much room for education and expansion of this model of care, um, which is why I think I, I took up this opportunity to to really, I guess, share my experience, but also to learn more about how different practices, you know, uh, are evolving. And I think as a group, there's just so much more that we can do. Damien, you've got such an interesting background. I think everyone's going to be really keen to learn more. Tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, thanks, Leslie. Oh, I'm so excited about this whole podcast. Uh, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for people to engage with, uh, I think, just different values and, and different approaches, different sets of eyes. I People might not know that I started out studying to be an accountant, um, and found that a little <laughs> no. bit too boring. <laughs> um, and kind of began my experiments with uh, with herbal medicine um, as I spent more time at the beach, that kind of thing. So, uh, so although I don't know if you can call that um, medicine, but I had a lot of fun. Um, but that uh, then also then meant that uh, I was uh, interested in understanding how the body um, could improve and be better because I was, you know, eventually sick from my lifestyle and behaviour. So as many naturopaths and chiropractors and mainstream medical professionals have done, um, they've had a health crisis themselves. And so I went through the health crisis, studied to be a naturopath, uh, practiced naturopathy for a number of years and then decided to become a chiropractor because um, I thought that that might bring me further into the mainstream. But um, I didn't realize that chiropractic was fringe, but I've lo- I love chiropractic. <laughs> <and> so <laughs> I, know. I've been, I know, but uh, I, I've, uh, I love it. And, and I've been practicing chiropractic now for, I don't know, 13 or 14 years. I've been a practitioner for 23 years. And um, and I don't feel that old, but I, I definitely um, I love educating and I love speaking about uh, what it is that we learn and what it is that we know. 
Mm. Oh, you look, you bring such broad experience. It's going to be fantastic. Emma. Hi, Leslie. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks, Damien. I had to have a chuckle because uh, you and I have something in common. I too went to university and studied accounting. And I have to say the world is definitely better off that I uh, dropped out of that pretty promptly. Uh, So I've been a clinical naturopath for about 18 years now and I'm based in Sydney and my holistic health clinic is called Studio U. And there we really specialise in two areas. The first is helping women get their mojo back. So women getting that sense of just energy and vitality and feeling good within their own bodies. And the second thing is helping families raise vibrantly healthy children. I'm so passionate about this area of paediatrics and I just feel if we can change a little person's life for the better, the long-term effects of that is absolutely profound, not just for the individual but the family and for the community. So I really love working with my little patients. Um, And joining the FX team, I am so excited to be amongst the company that I am. I'm I'm just so excited. Being on the coalface, you know, seeing patients in clinic every day, I think it's so important that we bring the conversations to life about the research, the people doing great work in our industry, and really have those vital conversations. So bringing that clinically relevant information to the audience is something that I'm looking forward to. Oh, thanks, Emma. And look, I agree with you in terms of um, a great start in life through a healthy pregnancy and then, you know, in the younger years is the most amazing and important part of preventative medicine. So really keen to hear what you've got to say down the track as well. Look, I'm going to open up the discussion for today and I thought it would be really relevant to talk about mental health If you think about it, we've been going through this COVID-19 pandemic for what seems like a really long time, but also there's been another pandemic that's been going on at the same time, and that's the mental health challenge that this has brought with us. So I'm really curious to understand from everyone, what's been going on in your clinics? What has changed over the last 12 to 18 months? Are you seeing a different type of patient come through the door? Do they have different needs? But also, how have you responded to this challenge within your clinic environment as well? So Emma, I'd love to start with you. What are you seeing and what have you been doing differently? Uh, well, unfortunately, we have been seeing, you know, much greater levels of anxiety and depression in our patient demographic. And this is across the board. But one thing that does disturb me quite a lot is that I'm seeing it in my younger and younger patients, you know, nine-year-olds telling me that they're having panic attacks and they can't breathe. And so it's deeply touching when you hear these stories about how the pandemic is impacting families and children. And I've got to say, I've really struggled at times in, in working out how to support these patients as well as I can. And one thing that I have definitely noticed is that collaborative care is even more important. So I almost feel like my role is to triage people in the right direction in these situations and to liaise with their GPs or liaise with their psychologists and get them the support and help that they need because it goes beyond my scope of practice a lot of the time now. Um, And so establishing the working relationships with other practitioners has never been as important as it is now. Mm. It makes a lot of sense because, you know, we can't be all things to all people. So building that network, as you've described, of um, health care practitioners around you that you trust, that you can refer to and can refer to you, makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, I've also got to say, I mean, I've never, ever dispensed as much magnesium or withania and <laughs> herbs and nutrients like that than I have in the last 18 months. I mean, it's just astounding. Hmm. Uh, you know, I've even got my daughters saying to me, Mum, what's ashwagandha? All my friends are taking it. <laughs> so it's, it's actually really hitting the mainstream, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, thanks for that. Adrian, I'm really keen to hear what's been happening at your end. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously I see a lot of anxiety and depression even prior to the pandemic, uh, and I think I'm, it's probably skewed more towards anxiety uh, now. And my concern, I suppose what I'm really seeing is just the changes in, in coping skills that people are using, which can have a negative impact on, on their mental health. I see that they're using a lot more, um, they're watching a lot more media, uh, they're more focused on the news and that uncertainty is is probably fueling uh, their anxiety and and they're not quite sure what to do next you know whether you know even in terms of weddings and 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 parties and those types of things it's really having an impact on on their ability to plan for the future and, and just kind of socialize and 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 be with others so that's that's my thing that I'm seeing with a lot of my clients Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know I've been talking to people about this, this, this sense of planning and how definite can plans be and looking at it as more of an intention rather than a definite. Um, I'm sure you've been giving people lots of good tools about how they can work with that. Yeah, I mean, certainly when it comes to anxiety, it's it's uncertainty that uh, fuels anxiety. So uh, really then uh, I'm really... A, encouraging people to to still set goals but you know maybe they're more short term rather than longer term and uh and really just trying to have a a greater balance uh in terms of you know obviously their social connections it's not hasn't been so bad in perth uh, where i practice but uh with the lockdowns and so forth but because they're not going to necessarily be able to improve their mental well-being through social connections so much there are other things they can still concentrate on like your, your sleep hygiene and like your physical activity and and engaging in in activities that might kind of boost their mood. Those are the things I'm really trying to concentrate on with my clients. So it sounds to me, Adrian, like you develop a a lifestyle prescription for people. Um, You've talked about sleep, you've talked about exercise and and social connection. I'd be really, really interested to learn more about that down the track. Tell us a bit more about what's been going on for you, Damien. Uh, I have seen so much uh, sympathetic dominance and so that's a, a thing I really want to unpack with uh, with the listeners is, you know, what's happening to the nervous system as it becomes overcharged and overstimulated and are people able to relax and that sort of thing. So I'm finding people are suffering not only from more upper back pain and neck pain and, you know, what would appear to be an acute flare-up of an old neck injury, for example, even, you know, a low back injury where their back is become, you know, quite sensitive. They're sitting down a lot more in front of computers, poor posture, not moving as much as what they could, maybe missing that opportunity to move into a third space. So they're not really down-regulating or switching off. And so they go from, you know, the bedroom to the kitchen to the study, I suppose, or even back to the bedroom to, you know, work from the bedroom. So there's, there's a whole lot of overcharging of the sympathetic nervous system and people are forgetting to breathe and relax and chill out and so we've got digestive discomfort and disruption and so on and so forth. So I'm seeing a lot of people that are, you know, stressed and anxious as well, um, a lot of people that are failing to breathe deeply, that, you know, really shallow breathing. So that means that you're getting a lot more upper muscle fibres in the uh, thoracic spine and the cervical spine, you know, becoming uh, tight and tender. But um, And then the consequences of that being the inability to take it easy and relax and, you know, see what is actually beautiful still out there 
and uh, and focusing on the things that are, I suppose, a little bit more challenging. Damien, I'm wondering about just a couple of things that you said there, and one of them is that people are obviously sitting for longer periods. They're going from yeah. their bedroom to the kitchen to the study to the kitchen to the bedroom. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but, but also I think people are walking more than ever before to get their two or three hours of exercise. Are you, are you hearing a bit more about that and the consequences of lots more walking? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Leslie. It's, I mean, one of the, the great consequences is that people are getting out, which, which I yeah. love, and, you know, where they might have spent an hour travelling to the office um, they're now spending an hour walking in the morning, which I think is, you know, I think that's fantastic. One of the problems, though, I suppose, with that is that people are moving, but there may be uh, a negligence to stretching. So, yes, you might be moving more and exercising muscles, but as a result of doing that, the muscles get stronger. And as a result of that, they need to be stretched because if they don't get stretched, then they get shorter and then, of course, pull. And so the pulling of the muscles on the joints creates that pain, discomfort, the stiffness that people are feeling. So, yes, we're, we're getting out and about, which is good, but there's things that go with that to uh, prevent injury and to make us feel fantastic. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. Um, look, if we step out of the clinic and take a more macro view about what's been going on in the community, Michelle, I'm really keen to hear from you what you see the role of is for integrative medicine and supporting the general community mental wellbeing? Look, I think, I mean, the, the whole society, particularly here in Victoria um, and currently New South Wales, are really um, suffering from fatigue of rules and from the breakdown of, of their social connections and, as Adrian mentioned, you know, just um, not being able to plan ahead. And I think it's actually revealed to us a lot of the cracks within our society because of this extra pressure that people are feeling, it's actually revealing to people their own uh, stress management skills. So I think we've got a, an incredible opportunity to actually almost expose our anxiety and expose our skill set and see whether we can really embrace the issues that are not going to go away quickly and see whether we can actually learn from our bodies and what they're, they're saying. So, for example, what Damien was saying about extra um, tension within the body from excessive walking, you know, like learning about things like yoga and stretching and learning about our sleep hygiene and learning about our nutrition and our diet and how important it is for mental health could be an opportunity for integrative medical space to actually share that lifestyle medicine approach to health and wellbeing rather than looking at, at medicine as a, um, I've got a problem, I need to fix it. So that kind of one plus one equals two solution and see our mental distress as an opportunity to really embrace change going into the next couple of years. Because I think the issue with what we've got with this pandemic is that I think what what's really tipping Victorians over the edge at the moment is uh, the double year of uncertainty. So last year was very difficult for us, but this year is even more difficult um, and that fatigue is setting in. And next year we're really going to have to dig deep uh, and and really get resourceful in terms of our skills of how we manage our mental health. Well, you know, I was just um, thinking about one of the things that you said there and that's about sleep. And, you know, there's been some reports showing up until about 2017, 2018 that half of Australians reported they were having inadequate sleep. Mm. I'm wondering if we're getting more sleep than ever before because people aren't commuting as much and maybe that's a good thing and maybe that's having some kind of counterbalance. I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm wondering if it's worth exploring down the track. Well, yeah, I mean, sleep is probably like it, it's 
I see it as a, a foundational aspect. You know, it's like, you know, looking at what quality air we breathe, looking at exercise and movement, sleep is so important and nutrition is so important. Um, and, they, you know, they're the absolute pillars of our, not only our mental but our physical health. And, I mean, I, I think sometimes though, for what I've seen as well is, Sometimes there's an excessive laziness that's kind of coming in <laughs> yes. to the community at the moment, <laughs> like with this lack of planning and this lack of scheduling and and we've lost a little bit. So this kind of sleep is could be even looking into a bit of an excessive sort of laziness that's occurring. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, again, you know, we're just talking about the importance of rhythm in our body. Like we talk about circadian rhythms and sleep being the most obvious one, but just the rhythm of life has been disrupted. And so, you know, we, you know, we're humans, we're dancers, you know, so we all have this beautiful ability to move through life. And I think when those movements stop, um, it affects us deeply to our core. Rhythm, I think, is, is very important to look at in life in general. And sleep is quintessential to that. Yes. Look, it reminds me of a very well-known article that was written in The New Yorker a couple of months ago. And it was entitled something along the lines of, Are We Languishing? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we're starting to hear that a lot in the public discourse. Um, speaking of which, you know, we see a lot that's written in the media about, you know, severe mental health issues. But one of the things we don't get to hear a lot about is the health and care of the healthcare practitioner. So the question I always wonder about is who cares for the carers? I mean, we're all human, aren't we? Well, you know, when you're in this profession, it's very much a caring professional. We're giving day after day to our patients, to our peers, but but how do we look after ourselves? I think it'd be really good to explore this a little bit further and I'd like to start with Damien about what are some of the things that you've incorporated into your life to support yourself during these changing, challenging times? Oh, Leslie, it is, it's such an important thing to consider and I'm one of the fortunate practitioners. Uh, I'm a tactile person by nature uh, and a lot of the people that I see in practice, obviously if they're coming to see a chiropractor, they're also to some extent tactile. They enjoy someone's hands being on them and I enjoy giving touch. So for me that's a great refueler and so there's an exchange of energy between me and the patient um, when they're on the table and I lay my hands on them. So that's a great thing. I think that's kept me somewhat sane but I've had to be very, very mindful of ways in which I can bring myself back into calmness and so I use a foam roller and I, and I lie on a foam roller, it runs vertically down my spine um, and I, I stretch my chest muscles out, so my pec muscles and I take de you know, deep breaths um, every evening uh, and, and I do that every evening as a practice to try and bring myself back into, I suppose, a, a better sympathetic um, space and so it enables, to, enables me to, I suppose, think more clearly, you know, connect with um, my wife Amber and, and make sure that I'm not charged up about the day or anything else that might be going on or a press conference that I might have overheard at some point in the day. Um, but just that practice is really important. But the other practice which has been uh, super important to me is to make sure I have a daily routine of walking. You know, not being able to play golf has been that meant that I, I'm down on kilometres per week. Uh, so I've had to uh, go out and, and walk, which has been really good for me. So as much as um, I get that connection and that touch and that ability to to meet with people on a on a you know almost a daily basis when I'm in practice. Um, the practice of getting back into a parasympathetic zone um, before I eat or before I engage in conversation when I'm at home um, has been fantastic for me. 
Thanks, Damien. Look, what I've really loved about what you said there is you've recommended two things that are really accessible. So walking, everyone can do that. You know, just need some runners, and I think everyone's got a pair of runners these days. Um, and those foam rollers, I, I hadn't thought about that. That makes so much sense. Thanks for that. Emma, yeah, what welcome. have you been doing? Uh, well, to be honest, some days I don't manage it. So, you know, some days do become overwhelming. And I think they're the days where, you know, I have to stop and catch myself and think, well, what am I not doing that's resulted in me feeling like this? And often, you know, I think about it and, and the way I view the world is through a lens of fun. And I usually find that when I'm feeling overwhelmed and feeling stressed in that way, I haven't been having enough fun. I've been too serious and I haven't been laughing like I need to laugh. And so in those moments, I usually go and hang out with my daughter because she's very fun and makes me <laughs> laugh a lot. And I do uh, commit to doing yoga three times a week. And, you know, there's some mornings I wake up and I just don't want to get on the mat at six o'clock, but I do it because it's just the point is to turn up no matter what, no matter how I'm feeling, and to have that commitment to being on that mat three times a week. Mm, it takes a lot of self-discipline, doesn't it? Oh, it really does. Honestly, some days I do not want to get up, but I always feel I, I always feel better for it afterwards. And I may not be full of endorphins, but I it's when I breathe the deepest for the day. I just it just works for me. Yeah, and there's so many amazing um, apps now and Zoom classes as well. I think yoga's never been more accessible. Yeah, so true. Oh, thanks, Emma. Michelle, tell us all a bit about what you've been doing yourself. Well, I'm in the fortunate position of being, um, I've just set myself the task of writing a book. So um, not being in clinic has been really helpful from a mental health perspective. But I'm a little bit of a combination of Damien and Emma because I'm a um, uh, little bit of a yogi and a meditator and I walk every day. In fact, I've walked so much that my hamstrings <laughs> are sore and... Um, I've had to go to a chiropractor. I know, I know a good chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've actually been going to a chiropractor too to help me with that. So that's been fabulous. But I think the biggest thing that helps me from a mental health perspective is um, giving myself self-compassion. And I do that um, through a meditation process myself, but even just minutely by just taking the pressure, my internal pressure off myself to be um, and to give myself room to be enough rather than put this, I need to do more and more and more. And as much as sometimes like a little bit of internal pressure can be helpful to get us up if we're languishing, like the word that you used before, Leslie, like are we languishing? But at the same time also being gentle and knowing that um, we're going through a very unique experience in um, the human journey, and just giving myself permission to to sometimes be okay, you know, to be okay with that, to to take off the the pedal, and sometimes if I am feeling like I'm having a bad day, to actually make that okay. So it's it's a little bit being comfortable with sometimes the discomfort that we're feeling. So it sounds like being kind to ourselves. So being kind to ourselves with a, a little bit of a dose of self discipline. Uh, as well and so that we don't fall into languishing might be the formula thank you michelle adrian what have you been doing and look your experience i'm sure has been quite different because you're in wa yeah i mean we haven't experienced the uh, lockdowns of the other states so i've been able to kind of 
works still as as usual most of the time, um, and which has meant that uh, work has been incredibly busy. And I know that's been the case for a lot of practitioners out there, uh, particularly a lot of psychologists. I know that they are overrun with with seeing people uh, and getting a huge number of referrals, and and that's really means that we've really got to take responsibility for taking care of ourselves. Um, you mentioned earlier who takes care of the, of the carer. I mean, ultimately, it, it's us uh, and and we want to be able to take responsibility for that. And I've had to ensure that I've put limits on um, on how many cases I take on, how many clients I take on, because um, I do need to, to look after myself. And that's something that maybe in the past I've been susceptible to uh, to bringing work home and I mean, definitely been susceptible to bringing work home and working late at night, and I'm just really trying to put limits on that these days, and uh, and just making sure that I have enough time to to do the things that I that make me feel good, and and for me that's you know exercise and 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 interacting with others and my family and so forth, going out for dinners, and unfortunately a lot of the foods I've eaten haven't been overly great, so I, I probably can't uh, uh, <laughs> recommend. Kilos. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, um, but I think that's the key. I think for us, it's it's really about going. Okay, we've got to take responsibility for our own self care. What are we doing uh, to to improve our mental and physical well being? And and that's really it needs to be individualised based upon a person's own preferences. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I really liked what you were talking about in terms of calendar management, making sure that you've got time in your day to do these things, but also that you're not. Um, you've, you're managing your caseload a lot more actively because I think that very often in, in our professions we, we're constantly wanting to give. We don't want to turn people away. We, we really just want to keep the door open. But making time to say, no, I need a bit of me time is so important. Oh, must have been hard when you first started to do that. Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, what we need to keep in mind is, is you know, are we providing a quality service to our to our clients and uh, and it's not about quantity and, and there's a point where there's just way too many clients that potentially you may be seeing and, and that impacts on the work that you can do with that person. So um, saying no, you may feel bad uh, saying no to a new referral, but ultimately it's it's probably better for, your, for the other clients because you can provide that quality service. Mm, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Look, let's move to the for- move forward. Let's look to the future because these lockdowns and everything we've been going through is going to eventually revert back and we're going to start to get a lot more freedoms and life is going to change again. But um, I guess the question that everyone's pondering is, is it going to revert back to what it was back in 2019? Or have we become a little bit wiser? And what have we learnt along the way? So, you know, what might be some of the opportunities that have arisen that we want to keep into the future? But also we do need to keep our eyes open about some of the challenges that are going to remain for quite a long time to come. So I'm really keen to hear from everyone about what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've seen and what might be some of the ongoing challenges we're going to need to deal with for several more years to come. So Emma, for example, I know that your naturopathic practices changed significantly, as I'm sure many naturopathic practices have, adopting telehealth um, you know, in, in a way that was never really embraced and adopted before. And, and do you see that continuing? And do you think there might be other opportunities that have arisen for naturopathy? Yeah, I think the, you know, the people understand that you can still conduct your appointments and you can still do your great things through telehealth. And I think there was a lot of reservation before because naturopathic medicine is so personal and having that 
face to face, one on one. You know, it's it's so intimate. But I think people have really understood that we can still get that same connection through telehealth. There's still ways that we can get that happening, and and distance and location. It, it's not a barrier to accessing great healthcare these days. And I think that that is is such a positive. I think that. You know, initially I see so much social excitement and overindulging and probably more weight gain. <laughs> so I think we've got yes. to keep our eye on that. And I'm already starting to talk to patients about, you know, what are your strategies for when things open up? You know, wh- wh- how are you going to handle that social overexcitement? So we've got to start thinking about that. But longer term, I think there will definitely be a greater awareness around mental health, which is good. Uh, unfortunate that the awareness has come because so many people have been impacted by it. Uh, So there will be more ongoing awareness of mental health. And I think opportunities are definitely this more collaborative work style, you know, having more people caring for that patient and being able to cohesively talk between the practitioners and have that rapport so that the patient feels very well cared for. And, and of course, you know, as Adrian said, you know, new strategies for stress management and thinking more about how we can implement these preventative strategies, because for our collective nervous systems to heal from the last eight, uh, 18 months, we really need to focus on preventative strategies. And you know, I really feel that this is where naturopaths can really offer so much in that space in, in implementing those strategies with patients. So I see a lot of really fantastic things moving forward. I just think we have to have some very clear and direct conversations with, with our patients uh, and, and just be walking alongside them. It sounds like whilst it's been a really um, challenging time, you know, yourself and your practice is adapted to make the most of it. And like you say, there's a lot of good things that are going to be coming out of this, besides obviously the burden of the type of patient that we're seeing, but I'm helping people to get through that better. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Damien, being both a chiropractor and a naturopath, you certainly see a broad range of people. What have you picked up and what do you see for the future? Well, it's it's such an interesting thing, isn't it, to think that maybe as soon as uh, restrictions lift that uh, we'll all bounce back. But there's a great saying that I like to remind people of and um, it, was, it was a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson and he said that the mind once stretched by a new idea never returns to its original dimensions. And I've always held that true to my heart that once you learn something, uh, you can't unlearn it. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it or unsee it, you know, that sort of thing. And so this will be the same, I think, for these mm-hmm. COVID times. Like moving forward, I think people have some nervousness. There'll be um, a greater awareness of anxiety and a greater awareness of poor sleep and a greater awareness of uh, one's nervous system, I think, and maybe even just symptomatology. I think people are going to be very sensitive to what's going on inside their body and in and around them. So we might actually find that there's um, maybe some catastrophization of some things going on with people as things start to settle because we're going to be let out into the wild again, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but people may, you know, find, you know, that it's it's a little bit wild out there and they might want to retreat back into their homes or they might, you know, enjoy the safety of being back in home and they may not want to go back into the workspace, into their office space. So I think we're going to see... Um, 
I, I suppose, a continuation of this stress piece. Uh, we're going to definitely see an increase in, in anxiety um, and, and then everything that goes along with that, you know, digestive discomfort and bowel dysregularity and hormone dysregulation, all those sorts of things. I think we're all going to see all those sorts of things in practice uh, and with our patients. But with ourselves, I think it's really important that uh, we, we continue to check in just to find out how it is that we're actually coping with the change um, of the demands and the change in the conversations. Um, people are looking for a whole lot more from their practitioners, that connection that they might not, might have had from uh, flippant relationships they had in the workplace, they might be looking for more from their practitioners. And so we need to be mindful of how much we give and um, how much is taken from us. Mm, now, that's really interesting, Damien, especially when you're talking about that transition period before we find our new normal as well mm. and what might be picked up at that point. For sure. Michelle, you made the very big decision this year to step out of general practice after so many years, so some really big changes for you. Are you seeing other people also reappraising their life decisions? Yeah, I am actually. Like I've, um, I, think, I think what's occurred over the last 18 or so months has actually allowed a lot of people to question what they previously held as normal. So, you know, a lot of people, particularly, um, and it's it's uh, not to exclude men, but women with children in the workforce tend to have a huge burden of responsibility on them because of their home life and their um, and their family life. And we adapted to that stress response. You know, we adapted to that um, that pace of life of getting up early and perhaps, you know, exercising and then work and then shopping and food and, and housework and children's getting them to sport and all of that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of people are realising that we were potentially overscheduled and that there was excessive amounts of pressure on our time. And it was that simply alone that stopped us from enjoying the things that we previously enjoyed. And I think this room of less commuting and more autonomy of time for many people has allowed us to kind of question sometimes our motivations. I think our motivation and also our opportunities for change as well. And I think with the less, um, I guess, time to spend money, um, to buy to, when retail was closed, when restaurants have closed. And so we've had an opportunity to actually look at our financial health as well. Um, and a lot of people I'm hearing are kind of saying, like, I don't actually need as much money as I thought that I did to live on. And I think that people are questioning the use of their time, uh, the amount of pressure on them and the stresses that they might have in their workplace. And I think there is going to be uh, a shift towards a new engagement with some of their career choices or their potential workload. You know, Michelle, that's something that's been picked up in a lot of the workplace statistics. It's been called the great resignation, but yes, also the great right. re-engagement. That's right. And I think, I mean, you know, and it's not just women, but the reason why I, I mentioned women is that I know that the burden of housework tends to fall on them. Um, I'm sure Adrian and Damien are, you know, absolutely equal in their home, um, so it's <laughs> present company excluded, but statistically say that, you know, there is a burden on, on women um, at work and in domestic um, non-paid jobs. So, and then child um, 
homeschooling uh, totally on. Yeah. And then homeschooling as well to add to yes. the top of that. But And I think the adaptability of like knowing how much we can achieve online, knowing how much um, opportunity there is for technology has really potentially paved a way for a new way of thinking. And I, I think that there is going to be a great opportunity to shift our mindset to really what matters more. I think that there was potentially too much emphasis on financial and economic success uh, at the detriment of our social connections and our social successes. And I think that any kind of crisis like this can open an opportunity for at least just to answer or ask more questions or different questions so that we can look at ways that we adapt um, and become more flexible with our choices. Mm. Adrian, as a psychologist, I'd imagine that more people talking openly about their mental health and also the greater general awareness of resilience. I don't think I've ever heard that word bandied around as much as I have in the last 12 months. I'd, I'd imagine that's a good thing, but I'm keen to hear what you've observed and what you think might happen next. Yeah, um, well, look, I've got absolutely no idea, so I'll... Uh, <laughs> um, you know, um, I mean, it's created the opportunity for us to to become more aware of uh, our mental health and the importance of it. But the key word is, is is that opportunity. So, unfortunately, as humans, you know, we have can have short memories, and and you know, I think initially there's going to be really positive effects in the short term, but what happens in the long term, um, you know, it really depends on on what changes we really incorporate. Uh, are there positive habits that people have developed and will they continue with them? Are there not so positive habits that people have developed and will they kind of let go of those? And, and that's really, I think this is an opportunity for people to be able to assess uh, what things they've learnt from COVID and to to get a piece of paper or write it down and, and for them to really try to remember what, it, what it's been like. Um, because when life goes back to the new normal, um, people may forget and they may forget the importance of social connection and, and what they missed, um, the fact that other things were, were mattered more than, than work and finances and so forth. But people can forget. Um, so that's one thing I think that uh, we really need to be mindful of. Um, I'm also I'm concerned about uh, children and and mm-hmm. uh, and we know that their view of the world is 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 really uh, moulded during the early years. So we really need to concentrate on ensuring that their mental health is is taken care of and that that we can kind of support them as they grow because there may be you know an epidemic of of ongoing anxiety and and for children as as they grow older. But you know we'll see how that progresses. Well, one of the things that I'm picking up from all of you is that this transition period is really going to be very important for practitioners in terms of supporting people through the transition to start understanding what their needs are, where they need bolstering of skills, what decisions and, um, I guess, lifestyle and dietary decisions they made through this period that should continue on or might need to change. And um, and, and Adrian, as you point out, children... um, you know, I guess at best maybe children have learnt a lot of wonderful things, some independence, some, some self-discipline. Maybe they've also learnt a few skills about how to cope because they've been going through change. I guess at worst it could be, you know, quite a different situation. What I thought I'd do is just to end with that, with our four wonderful ambassadors is to um, 
go out with a tip, one tip from each person about how practitioners can help themselves but also help their patients. We've covered a lot of ground today, but if you had to distill it down to just one key tip, what would it be? All right, I'm going to start with Damien. One of the greatest tips I give to everybody, which I think we can all be guilty of not doing, is drinking enough water. And I just always ask people to drink more water and drink more than you think you could. And I think, you know, this is true for the practitioner as it is true for the patient. If we drink more water, we're more aware, we're more mindful, our body's in a better place to heal. And I think that's really important as a great place to start from. Great. And Damien, do you have a target for people when you talk about drinking more water? Well, I kind of go on the 25 mils per kilogram kind of minimum. So, you know, if you, I'm not very good at maths. That's why I didn't do accounting. So uh, <laughs> 25 mils by 100 is two and a half litres. So if you're 100 kilos, two and a half litres. And if you want to drink less water, lose weight. Um, if you need to drink more water, just, you know, suck it up, I reckon. So um, that's, that's kind of where <laughs> I say that you need to go. But it's around 25 mils of water per kilo of body weight is what I've read. Thank you for that. Michelle, your top tip for everybody. Well, my top tip would be not to take things so personally. I think we have a tendency to often, particularly as healthcare providers, really take on that responsibility and that burden. And for me, what I do is I just, I have a little mantra that I say to myself that I'm trying my best. And when I say that to myself, or my husband's actually my my greatest kind of um, flag bearer, is he says that you tried your best or you're trying your best. It actually, I can feel my whole nervous system relax because what I acknowledge when I say that to myself is I actually am trying my best. And some of the problems are bigger than me. They're bigger than the system. Um, and we're going through such an enormous time and pressure so that's what I would recommend is is to know that to try your best and to not take it all so personally and just manage that sense of responsibility that you have and, and reach out and connect to all of the other healthcare providers but to your family and just um, and just really embrace your own heart space and know, give yourself that self-compassion and kindness that we all deserve. Yeah, and we probably never do enough of. Mm, it's really important. <laughs> Uh, Adrian, what would be your top tip? Um, I think mine would be uh, balance. Uh, so ensuring that people have the right balance uh, in terms of their, their social and work life and you know, how much time they dedicate to themselves, how much they de- time they dedicate to others and, and using their mind and their body as feedback. So if, if they're feeling anxious or, or depressed, then the balance is not quite right and they need to revisit their different their different areas of life and, and maybe put more effort in one area and less effort in another. So that's probably my, my top tip. Mm, balance and taking stock of things and readjusting, it sounds like. If there's something we need to do for the rest of our lives, we should be already doing it, but I think we always forget, or we often forget. Thanks for that, Adrian. And Emma, let's, let's leave with Emma's words of wisdom. Your top tip about how practitioners can look after themselves a little bit better and and help their patients. For me, it is always to find some joy and to have some fun because when you're doing those two things, all those incredible neurotransmitters and endorphins that are just running loose around your body, you can't help but feel just 
happy. And when we feel happy, we know our parasympathetic nervous system is completely, you know, like everything just lights up like a Christmas tree. Everything just is in flow. So find something that brings you joy. If you don't know what it is, just watch, you know, a cheesy comedy movie. It doesn't matter what brings <laughs> you joy or makes you laugh. Just find it. And and sometimes it's about just being a big kid. Just bring that kid out and just let it loose. <laughs> put on the music. It does sound like fun. Yeah, put on the music, have a dance, you know, whatever it is that brings you that sense of joy. Uh, yeah, I guess we can all dance in our living rooms, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> look, thank you, Emma. And, look, I just want to say a big thank you to our four ambassadors, Emma, Damien, Michelle and Adrian, for today. Really appreciated your words of wisdom and your advice as well as the um, personal insights that you gave everyone today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Leslie. Thanks, Leslie. It's been great chatting with you today. Thank you so much, Leslie. I'm so excited about all of this. It's great. Thanks, Leslie. It was so gorgeous to chat. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Make sure you never miss an episode. So subscribe to FX Medicine on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. You can let us know what topics you'd like us to cover through our website, which is fxmedicine.com.au or via Facebook and Instagram. Thanks everyone for listening.